welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, my intrepid colleague, Cole Huff, from over at The Athletic, as well as many other sites, is here. And we're going to talk about a bunch of things we had planned to podcast today, just in order to kind of reset the deadline, in order to set up what could be a jam-packed day tomorrow, given that it feels like the market was kind of being held up by the Raptors and that there were a few things on the burners, maybe is the way to put it. We wanted to set the table for it. We wanted to talk about LeBron passing Kareem in terms of the all-time scoring record. And then, you know, around 8 a.m. my time, I think 1 p.m. your time, we got a report from Sham Sharania and Adrian Wojnarowski. That report said that the Lakers, Jazz, and Wolves were in the midst of three-team negotiations involving Russell Westbrook, Mike Conley Jr., and D'Angelo Russell. That set the table for Cole and I deciding to wait until now to see if the deal got done, and the deal finally got done. So in terms of the full structure, it looks like the Jazz are moving Mike Conley to the Minnesota Timberwolves as well as Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And then Minnesota is also getting two second-round picks. Minnesota is moving D'Angelo Russell to the Lakers. The Lakers are also acquiring from the Jazz, Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. The Lakers are sending a first-round pick to Utah in order to facilitate the movement of Russell Westbrook's contract to Utah, as well as acquire all of these players. So this is a thing that on this podcast, you know, in episodes with Jason Timpf, in episodes with uh, Mark Schindler, I've been calling for, for a long time, I've been calling for the fact that I think the Lakers are closer than everyone seems to think in terms of contending in a real way for the playoffs. I think this deal certainly gets them closer. I don't know if I buy it as like the thing that pushes them over the top. I certainly think though, that it is a good deal for the Los Angeles Lakers. Where do you fall on this from the Lakers perspective, Cole? Because I think that that is ultimately the thing that's going to get the most kind of runway here, given, uh, given how weird and bizarre this Lakers situation has been all year. Yeah, it's a good trade for them. Um, you know, they accomplished a bunch of things. They got off of Russ's contract, which, you know, they made public that they've been trying to do for a long time now. They finally did it, even though he's in his last year. Um, they didn't have to give up both of their picks that they were reluctant to to do. They held on to one of them. Um, and they got back good players. Like, none of them are, are all-star caliber players at this point, but solid role players. They they got some more shooting with uh, with Malik Beasley. Um, Mike Conley, a, a, an extremely good veteran point guard, not what he once was back in his Memphis days, but oh, and he's obviously know. going to Minnesota, but they're going, oh, they're going to get D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell, I'm sorry, Laker fans know a lot about D'Angelo Russell. I think he's having his best season, um, in quite some time. Um, yeah, you know, he's he's shooting the ball really well, he's efficient. Um, seemed like he was playing really well. It's interesting. I, I, I don't think Minnesota just wanted to pay him, that must have been it when he hits free agency. Um, and then Jared Vanderbilt, you know, the Lakers defense has been really bad. Um, Vando isn't going to do much on offense. Um, he's, he started to expand his range a little bit. Um, he's not a shooter or anything like that, but um, he's not out there for that. He's going to provide defense. Um, he's going to be really good for them when when AD plays the five. 
Um, he'll step in at the four. I don't know if he'll start or whatnot, but just a, a, a good a good defender can guard some guards, can certainly guard wings. Uh, depending on the big, can guard those two. Has good foot movement. Like I think that's it's a it's a good haul for the Lakers, all things considered. Just to to still you know only have to give up one pick and, and get rid of Westbrook. I thought they did really well. I think the thing that stands out most to me is that the Lakers actually picked up size with skill and not necessarily athleticism, but they're going to be bigger now. Uh, This is a team throughout the season that has just really, really struggled with the small lineups that they have to play. Like there are times where they play guys that are six foot one, six foot three, and they have like three of them out there at once. Like they'll play Dennis Schroeder, Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly at once. And it's just really hard to cover the court when you do that. That's why this team gives up open threes, you know, night after night after night. It's just hard to cover the court when you're that small. They get a guy that's six foot five in D'Angelo Russell, another guy that's six foot five, six foot six in Malik Beasley. And then they get an enormous guy who's a great defender in Jared Vanderbilt, who is six foot nine. The guy that I'm going to start with, I think, is Vanderbilt, because I think he actually kind of solves. Not most of he doesn't solve all of the problems, but he solves interesting problems for them. This is a team that, despite having LeBron James and Anthony Davis, has not rebounded well this season. Uh, they are, I believe, 16th, 17th, 18th, something like that in defensive rebounding rate. And then they just aren't really even contesting the offensive glass at all. Jared Vanderbilt's really going to help in terms of crashing the glass. That's what he does. He's a super high effort player. The other thing that Jared Vanderbilt does is he gives them. Another option is kind of a defensive like chess piece. Even he can do a lot of different stuff. Like he can go out and guard almost not necessarily at the point of attack, but he can guard twos from time to time. He can certainly guard big up the lineup. He's best as Mm -hmm. like kind of a roaming defender that kind of flies around. Like you look at what Minnesota had success with last season defensively. It was essentially hiding D'Angelo Russell away from any sort of screening action. And then having Jared Vanderbilt guard like twos and threes and then having Jaden McDaniels guard ones and twos basically from time to time. So I think that Vanderbilt as a defensive chess piece is very, very helpful. We'll talk about Utah's side of this in a minute. I'm a little bit surprised they didn't get a little bit more. And I wonder if they broke these pieces up, if they could have gotten a little bit more. The Beasley addition is the easiest one to fit. They just needed someone that's six foot five and could shoot threes, right? They Mm -hmm. just need someone that can come in and do that. Uh, Russell is the weird one for me here because Russell is not very good defensively. And I think he's going to exacerbate problems for them a little bit defensively. Uh, You can play him with Patrick Beverly and let Patrick Beverly deal with the point of attack and you can try and slide D'Angelo off the ball, but D'Angelo doesn't even deal well with like secondary creators anymore because he just really struggles to get through any sort of screening action at this point in his career. Uh, Minnesota's defense, if you take Rudy Gobert off the court and leave D'Angelo Russell on it, they have like a 120 defensive rating this year. Like it's been mm-hmm. a total mess. So it's it's going to be interesting for me to see how D'Angelo fits. He gives them another ball handler and he gives them another ball handler with size, which is something they really needed. I really wonder if they would have been better off just taking Mike Conley in this move Mm -hmm. and and just like doing a deal directly with 
the Jazz, I know that Conley would have added another small guard, but I would have been comfortable at that point just like moving Patrick Beverly, Dennis Schroeder, etc., to a different location, basically. Having said that, D'Angelo Russell's big. He's a great shooter. He will help this Lakers team undeniably. And he it's interesting because he played with a lot of these players last year. And I know Minnesota, yep. they were they were kind of up and down defensively last year. Sometimes they had stretches where they were really good. Sometimes they weren't so good. And I think they kind of broke out maybe around top 10 defense, 11 or 12, something like that. Um, but it's just going to be interesting because he's, you know, he started with Patrick Beverly last year. I don't know if that's going to, if that's going to be a thing or if Schroeder is going to be out there, but, you know, playing with, with Vanderbilt in the starting lineup last year, like he's, he's played with, with these guys before. And then you can make the, the LeBron, uh, Ant comps and the AD cat comps. And, you know, we know which two are better and whatnot, but it's, it seems like it's going to be a, a similar style for him. I don't know um, if, if Ham's defensive rotations and his schemes and stuff are necessarily going to line up with, with Minnesota slash with Chris Finch, that's the thing. Um, but it'll be interesting to see just how he plays with those with those guys that he had decent success with last year, even though they kind of hit him, like you said. I'm glad you brought up the Darvin Ham piece of this. Uh, I don't want to go too, too hard on a first-year coach. I've been pretty worried. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, they have dudes that are bigger. Like, you can th- – I know Austin Reeves has missed some time recently, but, like, you can throw Austin Reeves and you can throw Max Christie and you can throw Lonnie Walker in a little bit more. And like they had the option to go bigger and they didn't, I have not been really impressed with like Darvin Ham's rotational decision-making let's go with this season. I don't think Mm -hmm. he's done a very good job. This gives him more options that can go one of two ways. It can go toward immense frustration for Lakers fans, or it can go toward them really figuring some things out. Maybe that fit with D'Angelo Russell and Patrick Beverly will really help in a substantial way. But the thing that I think the Lakers are going to struggle with a little bit more often is where the Wolves were really good last year defensively is they put D'Angelo Russell into like this weak side, like almost like defensive captain role, like a, He's not Draymond Green, of course, but like that was kind of what they did with him. They had him like roam the back line and call out defensive coverages. And he was really, really good at communicating all of that stuff last year. They can't really do that because that's what LeBron does. And now he's got LeBron is more. He's going to have to be on the ball a little bit more. Like they'll let, they'll have Beverly annoy at the point of attack. Like they'll have, they won't have to deal with him, you know against lead initiators, I don't think most of the time, unless Darvin Ham is really not as good as I think he might not be good. But like, they should be able to avoid the worst matchups for D'Angelo, but it might be hard to avoid bad matchups for him with these lineups because you have Anthony Davis as the central piece. You have LeBron being the guy who's probably going to call out backline coverages you're probably going to have to put Russell on the one, two or three defensively. And that's just not a role that he's going to be successful in at this point in his career. I don't think he's 26 years old. I know he's not like out of his prime or anything. I know he's been in the league eight years. He's a veteran, but he just doesn't move well anymore. The knee stuff, it feels like that he's dealt with throughout his career. It, It has sapped a lot of what his lateral quickness is. And he takes really bad angles and screens. So that's actually the point where I'm a little bit worried about this for the Lakers. 
why I think they did this, my guess, this does not come from reporting. Russell's contract expires. Malik Beasley's contract has a team option for next year. So they can essentially get rid of $46 million off of their cap sheet in the same way that they were going to be able to get rid of $48 million off of their cap sheet by moving on from Russell Westbrook. They have to pay a first-round pick to do it, but they pay a first-round pick in order to compete this year. I think it's a really, really smart move for the Lakers to be able to do this. They're flexible to be able to move on in the summer if they have to. They have that Rui Achimura cap hit that that apparently they seem interested in re-upping for next year. Uh, I'm skeptical of that, but we'll see. Uh, They have Beasley, who is on a team option. They'll have flexibility to keep him or let him go. And then they'll have D'Angelo Russell's uh, you know, cap hold and yeah. his bird rights. So they'll be able to play with now. that a little bit. Yeah. They have options now in a way that they didn't in the off season, mm-hmm. which overall I think is better for them moving forward. They have more flexibility in the way that they can do things both now where they should be able to be a better basketball team with better basketball players around LeBron and Anthony Davis, as well as having real flexibility moving forward. Uh, The Minnesota Timberwolves, part of this is interesting. They acquire Mike Conley for D'Angelo Russell, basically. Mm -hmm. And I really like this move. What do you think of it, Cole? I think it helps them. Um, Even though though D'Lo was playing really well, um, especially as of late, I think, like I said, Conley's not what he once was, but um, you factor in, you know, Gobert gets another player that he played with and had success with in Utah. Um, yep. Maybe that helps him out as a pick and roller and unlocks a little bit more of his his rolling ability as a, in, in the half court and make him a little bit more useful. Um, but those two have good chemistry. Obviously, I think um, you know Conley being the the veteran point guard that he is, he's going to make sure Ant gets the ball in ideal situations, um, ideal times of the game um, when when Minnesota's offense needs to get in the stuff instead of hunting for a shot. Um, yeah, I just I just think he's a good fit with them. Um, he's going to bring a, a maturity to that locker room as well for a team that you know is trying to grow up fast, uh, given you know their best players and and they had a taste of, of playoff the playoffs last year. Obviously, they went all in with Rudy, so I just think um, just give me another veteran presence um, that's going to do well in the locker room, be a coach on court, um, and, and just try to help them take a more um, more mature approach to the season and maybe that'll provide them a little bit more consistency because we've seen flashes um, during the season where they've been really good. And then they'll lose to like Houston or Orlando or something like that. And they'll just, (laughs) they'll just kind of drop off. So um, I think, I think it's a good move for them. I I think they got, like you said, two or three second round picks as well. I don't know how much is that that's going to help considering all all the, uh, the first rounders they gave up for Rudy, but um, not a bad trade, all things considered. You just giving up D-Lo. I think that that's, I think that's right. I like the Conley fit better on both ends. So part of this is that Mike Conley has taken a step back within Utah's offense this year. He's been much more of a distributor, playmaker, passer out of ball screens, just a floor general and like as an overall player, right? He's taking 8.7 shots per game. That's the lowest number he's taken since his rookie season. Here's the thing. <laughs> He's still really good. He's actually creating almost 16 points per game 
out of ball screens as either a scorer or a passer. That's like top 20 in the NBA. I think it's 17th of the 16 guys that are ahead of him. 15 of the 16 have been all-stars either this year or last year. And then the 16th guy is Jalen Brunson, who might get named as an injury replacement this year. So Mike Conley is still a real offensive driver. Don't let those like 10.7 points per game fool you. He has a four to one assist to turnover ratio, uh, averaging 7.7 assists per game. Conley has been really, really good this year as an offensive player. On top of it, you don't have to worry about him taking like isolation possessions. You don't have to worry about him overstepping his bounds. That's going to be really, really important for them, given that Anthony Edwards has taken this like, I genuinely think like he's taking his superstar leap kind of in Mm -hmm. front of our eyes, you know, right now, basically. On top of that, they're going to get Carl Towns back. And that's going to be more like possessions where they need to get that guy a shot, right? They need to get Carl Towns a shot because Carl is great and deserves offensive reps every single night. So I think that going from a guy in D'Angelo Russell, it's like a 22 to 25 usage rate guy, reducing that down to Mike Conley, who's going to be happy being like a 16 to 18 usage rate guy. It's huge. It's really, really helpful for the Timberwolves. And that's before we go to the defensive side. Mike Conley has real synergy with Rudy Gobert, having played with him in Utah. He knows what Rudy needs in terms of drop coverage from his guards. Mike Conley's really, really good at fighting through screens, getting over the top of them if that's what the situation calls for, navigating them, uh, navigating like double screens at the top, navigating drags, like everything that you can do. Mike Conley's really, really good at it in terms of screens and getting through it. That's going to help yeah, Rudy. hundred um, percent. I've been watching a bunch of synergy uh, clips of Mike Conley the last few days, and that's one thing defensively that stood out to me was just how well he maneuvers those ball screens. Like he doesn't get hit on them hardly ever. And, you know, just to take it back again, I know um, Patrick Beverly is sort of in a similar way. Like those guys fight through screens and even if they don't, you know, get back in front of their guy, they're able to get contests and not force, you know, over help from other players and force Rudy to have to do too much or force the, the wing guy to, to dip too far into the help lane and whatnot. So all that stuff adds up. And like you said, his chemistry with Rudy, he knows what he has um, back there. And he knows how to funnel stuff to him um, in case of emergency and whatnot. So I think it's I think it's a good move. Um, he's not a, a lockdown defender or anything like that, but he's very, very smart, high IQ. Um, yeah. And then obviously, you know, still brings offensively the, the IQ as well. And we talked about how he he uh, maneuvers off the pick and roll, especially when guys are aren't at the level of screen. He's he's so quick with his trigger. Um, lots of, of pull-up threes off the screen. And, you know, I, I like the move for them. I'm, I'm excited to see how it shapes them on a night-to-night basis. So. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the last thing I'll bring up here is that Mike Conley is signed for next year. He has a partial guarantee for about $14 million. If Minnesota had decided that D'Angelo Russell was not the guy for them, right, next to Anthony Edwards, this was the safest way for them to continue to keep that cap spot basically on their roster, get a guy like Mike Conley, who is going to be able to help you now, likely going to be able to help you next year. You maintain that cap spot. 
you maintain the flexibility for a team that likely they could have opened 20 million in cap space if they really wanted to this summer. But the starting point guard market is probably going to be higher than that. Like Fred Van Vliet's going to get more than 20. I would venture D'Angelo is probably going to get more than 20. I don't know how much I would pay him necessarily. Uh, if you guys can tell, like I'm probably not a D'Angelo Russell guy compared to what the consensus is necessarily. I really like Mike Conley. I think he's just a better player than D'Angelo Russell. I think this is a fit that makes a lot of sense across the board. And I would bet you going back to the Lakers that the reason they went Russell over Conley is the expirings because Mike Conley has that partial guarantee. It would make it a little bit more complicated for them. Okay. Now the jazz side. Weird deal for Utah. I understand why they did it. I think that Danny Ainge just prioritized this 2027 Lakers pick more than anything else is what it seems like, right? Yeah, I, I would have I would have thought they would have gotten more than that. Um, just based on all the rumors that have been kind of circulating and what they were asking for for certain guys. They wanted like they valued Conley, Vando, Olenek, Beasley, like they valued all of them as a first round pick in return. Um, so to send, I guess, what is it, two of them, Vando, no, three of them, and get back and three of them. one pick, uh, seems a little bit underwhelming. Um, but I think I saw a tweet, you know, they have 15 picks between now and like 2028 or 2029. So, like, maybe, maybe it doesn't matter all that much at the end of the day. And they wanted to do right by, um, by Mike Conley and get him into a situation where he can compete and contend. Um, while freeing up more time and stuff from development for the other guys on their team that are a little bit younger. I think that that's probably probably had something to do with it. I think that, like you said, it could be a situation where they feel like they have a quantity of picks right now, and they feel like this Lakers pick is a quality option in terms of a pick, right? Like, they, they have all these Minnesota picks. They have a bunch of picks from Cleveland. We don't know what they're going to look like. But this pick here, this could be really good if the Lakers fall off by the time LeBron retires. I would assume he'll be done by 2027. I don't know if we can guarantee that, given the way he's playing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, If LeBron leaves, I would assume Anthony Davis could go out the door after him. I understand what the Jazz are thinking here. I wonder if they could have gotten a little bit more by particularly splitting this up. Like, do the Lakers not do this deal? Like I really just talked about for a while, Jared Vanderbilt being a really high level player that I really love for the Lakers. Do they do this deal if he's not included? I don't know. Like th- that seems like you're getting Malik Beasley and you're getting D'Angelo Russell to get off of the Russell Westbrook deal. That's still probably worth the first round pick for you at the end of the day. I might've mm-hmm. tried to fight if I was Utah to keep Vanderbilt out of the deal and then tried to move him elsewhere, basically move him. The deal that I really liked was going to get a first round pick for Phoenix for Dario Saric to take the Saric money, because the way that they can do that is they have this Joe Ingles trade exception. They also have a trade exception for the Rudy Gobert deal. So they can take on, you know, $9 million basically in salary uh, within that deal. And the Jazz. Help the Jazz can, yeah, which would help the Suns basically save $13 million in luxury tax while also getting them Jared Vanderbilt. And they would get mm-hmm. a first-round pick. They could have gotten an additional first-round pick is what I'm wondering. But maybe the Lakers held a hard line really wanting Jared Vanderbilt. 
I don't know. Like the, the Jazz, it feels like with this move are kind of signaling their intentions to take a step back and try to enter the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes, right? Uh, you get rid of three rotation players. You're essentially not getting one back. Like all due respect to Juan Toscano Anderson and Damian Jones. Mm-hmm. It's going to be they don't interesting. Get a point guard either. Yeah. You know, they don't really have like a great option at the lead guard. Now, what do you do if you're them? is a real point here. And I think that what ends up happening is they take a step back. They end up in that number five, number six range in terms of lottery odds. And they hope for the best on lottery night for Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson, who, by the way, as you mentioned, they have a real hole now and could end up uh, getting the point guard of the future. Because right now it's just Colin Sexton, Right. Uh, I don't yeah. know who they got rid of Alexander Walker. I mean, not that he was really in their rotation anyways, but they don't really, like you said, they don't really have a lead guard. So um, yeah. I mean, like you said, they're taking the, they're, they're signaling what they're trying to do here. They're not trying to compete as much anymore. Like it was fun. Uh, it was good for the first part of the season and, you know, they had some pleasant surprises. They drove probably, well, I would have thought some guys trade value up with how they were playing and the team success, um, yeah. But now it's time to refocus, uh, getting back to probably what they originally had planned before they got off to such a good start, which is focus on on the draft. And yeah, obviously the the big one is is Wimbenyana, but I mean, like you said, they need they need another lead guard. So um, it's going to be interesting for them. I, I want to see how uh, like what kind of rotations and kind of lineups they're starting to put out there now. If if Markinen has like a step back at all now that he's not playing with a point guard and Conley, or I, I don't know, just just I want to see what they what they prioritize going forward. Um, but yeah, uh, not not the most. I mean, I'll say it's a surprising trade considering uh, the haul that, that they gave up and what they got back. Yeah, like I think it's fine. I, I don't have a problem with a it trade. from Utah's perspective and. Here's the deal. So just looking at the lottery odds as of right now, Utah's 27 and 28. Despite the fact they're almost 500, they're actually only two games out of like the sixth worst record in the league. Like they can actually really do some damage here in terms of moving uh, up or down, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, the lottery odds. So I, I wonder if that has a factor here um, they might have wanted to give Colin a real run Colin Sexton to try and run the team a little bit see what they have in him given that they have him on a bigger contract Sexton has not had a bad year he has been uh you know a guy that consistently scores buckets efficiently is that shooting 50 percent from the field 42 percent from three 84 percent from the line averaging 14 points he is what he is uh yeah. mostly off the bench right but We'll, we'll see if he can maybe take a leap into something more over the course of the next couple of months. We shall see. Do you think they're okay. done? Do I think they're done? That's a good question. I you got Clarkson and, and guys like that. Olenek, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like the, the team I've been calling out for for Olenek is Miami. Like I think Miami would really, really benefit from having another really smart floor spacer who passes well and makes good decisions. Uh in their front court obviously has experience within that scheme as well. Kelly, you know, Clarkson Clarkson could really help some teams. He's been awesome this year, yeah. but 
I, they might, maybe they want to try and resign him. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's, it's hard because Clarkson's deal particularly is one where it's probably too low for him to agree to any sort of extension right now, uh, given the way he has played this season. I mean, Jordan Clarkson is averaging 21 points per game, 45% from the field, 35% from three, uh, four assists per game versus only two and a half turnovers per game. So he has been in the midst of a career year. If I was him, I would probably want to test the free yeah. agency market. He could help a lot of teams. He could certainly help a lot of teams if they decide to make this move a full-scale teardown. Uh, in terms of ripple effects of this deal, I, I don't really know. I mean, I feel like we've all been waiting for the Lakers to do something. I, I think maybe one is that the Lakers could go out and try and get someone else now with the 2029 first-round pick and Patrick Beverly's contract if they really wanted to. Like, that's $13 million. They could certainly try and do some damage with that. I, I would venture they probably keep this pick, but mm-hmm. it's not impossible they could go out and make a move over the next 24 hours. I think, yeah, I mean, it depends on what who they're talking to. Obviously, I don't know how much value um, Patrick Beverly would have. I mean, it, it's an expiring, uh, so maybe some team would just be willing to eat that um, in order to get the first-round pick. But whatever that would bring back, I don't know if that's good enough for the Lakers to part with that first with that with their last uh, first round pick. So, uh, but that's certainly a possibility um, when you consider, you know, their their guard rotation now with being a little bit crowded with Schroeder, um, D'Lo, Malik Beasley, Pat Bev. Um, I don't know if you want to consider Reeves a guard or not, but there's certainly a lot of capable guys that are capable of playing big minutes at the guard position. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe they do explore that route, but. Yeah, I think we we're kind of all waiting on that. There's obviously other teams that we're waiting on now, like the Raptors and obviously the whole Kevin Durant situation. But uh, for now, the Lakers have, have made their move. We'll see if they make another one. And, yeah, less than 48 hours until we have, have some clarity on what the heck is going to go on the rest of the season. Well, and, and you know, CeeLo in the YouTube comments here asks, you know, why didn't – why didn't Utah or why didn't the Lakers want Mike Conley is the question in the comments here. And I think it's just that they're small already. Like, I think it's the partial guarantee on Conley's deal for next season, which gives them a little bit less flexibility and the fact that they're small already. And I personally would have rather had Conley and moved a couple of the other small guards that are already on the roster for maybe someone like an Eric Gordon, if I could have, but end of the day, I would venture that it was that desire for flexibility moving forward that probably tilted them more toward D'Angelo Russell in the steel than Mike Conley. Um, in terms of Minnesota, this seems like a big move for them. This seems like the kind of move that, you know, makes a lot of sense for them. And I, I don't know if they'll really go out of their way to get a lot of other things done. And then Utah, like you said, they could, they very well could continue moving forward here in terms of like, other teams around the league, Law Murray, our colleague over at The Athletic, reported that the Clippers would have interest in Russell Westbrook if he gets a buyout. Maybe that's where we finish this conversation. I mean, what in the world happens with Russell Westbrook now? Because I can't imagine the Jazz are going to keep him. And I can imagine him wanting to play at that arena in front of those fans with how much history he has with them. So uh, I think it would be best for both parties to to get that buyout going. Um that's going to be interesting. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know 
what what the market was for Westbrook, obviously on his big contract as a trade piece, was was nothing. But as a buyout candidate, I don't know. Are people willing to take a shot on him for the the lower price? It'll be interesting. Like if the if the Clippers are actually uh, rumored to to want him, like it just be weird for to me to go from John Wall to Russell Westbrook. Like they kind of tried this already. They offer yeah, a little right. bit of, of different things, but you know pretty much the same player in terms of um, defense, not really being there not re- really being able to shoot. Um, yeah. No floor spacing, not great finishing at the rim. Like it just seems like, I don't know. I'm not really too sure about that one, but um, you never know. You, well, you always take, and, take a swing on the upside of Westbrook, I guess, if it's that cheap. Well, and like with the Clippers, I mean, God, you watch the Clippers more than I do. Like the, the Clippers, that team has more stagnant offense, I feel like, than any team in the NBA outside of the Raptors right now, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, their offense is just like isolation. Okay, dribble, 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 we'll get the ball to PG. Dribble, 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 we'll get the ball to Kawhi. Uh, or maybe Reggie Jackson's going to try and isolate on a possession. John Wall's going to try and get to his elbow jumper. Like, it's it, it's really frustrating to watch. Or Like, it's one single driving kick out to a sprayed, you know, kick out to Marcus Morris or Luke Kennard or someone like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I think they need more guys like Terrence Mann, not more guys like Russell Westbrook, you know, with all due respect to Russ, who I think everyone on this show knows I, I have a lot of affection for, I really enjoy watching him play. I, I don't know. I don't know where he goes from here. It, it's a, if you told me that like he ends up sitting out the rest of this year, that wouldn't blow my mind. And by the way, like, you know, Thad Fouché, his ex-agent, he basically yeah. predicted all of this, essentially. I remember and, having that conversation with you earlier when I hopped on the pod. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I completely disagree with the fact that, you know, Fouché completely aired out his all client right. like that. But it, you know, it, this is, this was all foreseeable. And it sounds like, even Russell Westbrook had people advising him at the time that this was foreseeable and we'll see where it goes now. I think see, let's take a, where it goes. let's take a quick commercial break. Then we're going to talk a little bit about LeBron James breaking the all-time scoring record. And then we're going to talk about other things that could happen over the course of the trade deadline. Okay, we're back. Cole, I don't know if you heard this, but LeBron James, he broke the scoring record last night. They stopped the game with 10 seconds left in the third quarter and did a big ceremony. It was pretty cool. Uh, I tend to be more cynical about this shit. Like, I tend to be someone that's just like, oh, you know, what is the pageantry here? Mm-hmm. That moment last night got me. That moment yeah, last man. night. I don't know why was, so many people dislike that. It was cool. Like it's a- I was, I'm with you on this one. It was so cool. I thought, like, I I enjoyed every second of it. the The thing that really got me was the video on the jumbotron, where they showed like Jay Billis saying, "This is the best high school player of all time," and then the St. Vincent St. Mary's highlights, the Sports Illustrated cover saying the chosen one, and then you just look at it and you're like. This guy had every single 
ounce of pressure that could have been heaped upon him from day one didn't crack, didn't fault, didn't nothing happened. And not only did he like live up to expectations, he drastically exceeded expectations and became the guy for me that certainly has the best career in NBA history. I don't know if he's the best player in NBA history. I don't know if he's the GOAT. Look, you can take that a number of different directions. But in terms of career accomplishment, I do think it is LeBron at this point. And that is uh, that is something that he's going to have forever, that moment last night where Kareem passed the ball to him and said, it's you now. Like, I, I can remember being elementary school like playing at at recess like reenacting playoff games from from braun like when he scored like 30 <laughs> in a row or whatever against detroit that one year like i was like i was like in fifth or sixth grade or something like it's just crazy how long that he's been able to sustain yeah. this like in his his age 37 and 38 season he's averaging over 30 points like it's, it's, it's wild um that, that, i'm glad i'm glad you brought up that detroit game Everyone talks about like the Miami years where like he perfected basketball is what people are saying. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, he, he, no one's played at a higher level than that in their opinion, that Detroit game in double over. That's the one I remember the most, the 30 straight points. Yeah. I I was, yeah, I think I was, what's what I'm probably three or four years older than you. I I think I was in like ninth or 10th grade, maybe ninth grade. And I watched that game at 11 o'clock at night in bed, like on a fucking 10 inch or 11 inch, 12 inch TV in my bedroom. And was just like losing my mind. And my parents were like freaking out, like shut up, not shut the fuck up, but like be quiet. Mm-hmm. We're trying to go to sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. I, it's just a memory that like will indelibly live in my mind forever. Just seeing someone that young completely dominate this veteran, like old school defensive team. And it was just, it was incredible. He's in, he was, he, he is incredible in every way. Yeah. And just think about everything you've done in your life since then, like how long ago that was for him to still be even close to, to, to that level. You know what I mean? Like obviously his athleticism is is dipped a little bit over time, but it's still remarkable. He's still in fantastic shape. He still has the ability to take over just about any game offensively. Like it's, I think we're we're spoiled in a way with just how yeah. how great that he's been. We kind of overlook it, um, but I think moments like last night to see him, to see that video you were talking about with Jay Billis, and you know seeing some of the clips from him during his first Cleveland stint, and just to really reflect on how great and how dominant he's been for twenty years, yeah, and for him to exceed all the hype and handle all the pressure and stuff uh, like you talked about is it. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I enjoy moments like that. Um, I enjoy the raw emotion of, of the players, you know, being in that moment. I think it's cool. I mean, the, the Lakers aren't a good team. They got better today. Um, obviously, they lost the game last night. Um, but still, like, just, just that moment it was the, – the, the only other thing that I can kind of compare it to that I've seen in my lifetime – ironically happened at Staples Center when Kobe had the 60 and all the people were there yeah. to show him love and just, a, yeah. just, just gives you goosebumps. Like that's, that's such a cool moment. Yeah, it really, really was. Like I said, like I'm not someone that tends to like 
jump in on that stuff and it's still like it got like it got me like i was mm-hmm. actually at the library like i'd gone out to lunch with a friend and went to the library to do some work in the city and i was just like oh my god like this is this is amazing this is so cool um what is your favorite lebron moment if you had to pick one i kind of mentioned what mine was like i mean there, there's so many to choose from i feel like that that one that I just talked about, just because I remember being a kid and being like so hyped and, and being in the palace and doing that. Um, there was a regular season game against Milwaukee. I want to say where he had like fifty something, and he just was shooting from from down near half court. Um, the, the the big one is the Boston one, obviously the forty five in that game, game six, I believe, at TD Garden, when really like the Heat kind of big three dynasty was like. I think that was the second year of it, and if they would have failed again, who knows what happens. Uh, yeah. Those those three in particular, um, and I mean, the that whole finals run um, with against the Warriors with with Kyrie and them coming back from three one, just incredible, yeah. <laughs> incredible, like unbelievable basketball by by him. So uh, those are the ones, man, and yeah, just just one for. I, I mean, I guess you could talk about the bubble too, but one for each, each, each team, each part of his career he's been on. Like he That's has right. some legendary moments, which is which is crazy. Yeah, it it really is like remarkable. Like the fact that he's brought a title as the best player on the team to Cleveland, Miami, and the Lakers. Like it, it really, it really says a lot in terms of what his career accomplishments have been and just how you know we look at lebron as like this you know this icon of the player empowerment movement and i think that's really important right like i think that part of his legacy can't go understated the fact that players feel like they have more power over their careers now you know that that is not just due to lebron certainly i think that a lot of the guys in his era you know not only chris bosh dwayne wade and those guys that formed the super team in Miami, but Chris Paul, who's the president of the player association for a long time, guys that, you know, were willing to move. Like it, it certainly has in many ways, given them more power over their careers. And I mm-hmm. think that can't be understated. And the fact that he has three, uh, that he has, he has a championship in each stop of his career, I think really goes toward that point in a really tangible, substantial way. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's, it's so hard to like say, it's so hard to, like even try and encapsulate all of LeBron's career in one, but like even in terms of this was a guy that couldn't shoot when he got to the NBA, he shot 29% from three in his first year of his career over the first eight years of his career, he shot 32.9% from three. LeBron is currently ninth all time and made three pointers. (laughs) That's the craziest thing in the world. Like we, that's yeah. The fact that this guy That's like one of the so last things that you think about when you think about LeBron James, just lethal three-point shooting, but he's already cracked the top 10. Like, Yeah, and he's, he's a 36% these. three-point shooter over the course of the last you know decade and change, right? While taking real volume. He's taking yeah. seven threes a game this year. Like, just the level of improvement, the level of, like, competitive desire. Like, people talk about, like, Jordan's competitiveness and compared to LeBron all the time. Like, you can't get better at that stuff that LeBron has gotten better at and win a title in every stop you've been at without being like a hyper competitor, right? You can't do it. So 
Yeah, no. Uh, LeBron is one of my favorites. I, I just can't, I can't. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite era of Bron? Like, which Bron you enjoyed watching or liked favorite the most? Era. Yeah, I mean, look. In terms of like a cohesive group of years, it is hard to go past the Miami years because I do think that is where it all like really came together for him, right? In terms of the post game, the improved shooting, the passing, the playmaking, the scoring, the unselfishness defense, that, yeah. yeah, the defense, and, and like the fact that he is this guy that throughout his career has been such an unselfish superstar, despite being this incredible scorer. Like that, that's probably the era where it came together most for me, but those late Cleveland years, the first go around, man, like some of the stuff he did there was just unbelievable. It was just absolutely incredible. Like athletically even mm-hmm. just like forget, forget the skill stuff. Cause like, I, I do care about the skill stuff a little bit more. I think people that, listen to the show know that like I, I am more of like a skill guy as opposed to, you know, pure athleticism dunking and like throwing do- stuff down. Like the stuff he was doing athletically those last few years in Cleveland was still absolutely outrageous. It felt like. Yeah. The, the first, the first Cleveland stint uh, those last few years, I think that's the most, maybe because I was a kid and at that point I just liked basketball for what it was I mean clearly now we know a lot more about the game and schemes and watching for this and and coaching and efficiency and all that type of stuff but back then you know when when I was in fifth and sixth grade I'm just watching because LeBron is doing cool stuff and he's jumping out the gym and he has cool handshakes with all his teammates and (laughs) I started to like love Mo Williams like it was just it just seemed like a cool time to be a LeBron James fan and to be a LeBron James teammate. And yeah. I think that's my, he, that wasn't the best version of him, but like just, just living through that as a kid, that was just like, it was like a cool, like movie, you know what I mean? And then, you know, he comes out with the the movie more than a game. And like, it was just, it was a cool time. Oh, God. It was a really cool time. More, more than a game would have been like high school for you too. Right. Yep. I was in 10th grade, I believe. Yep. Yeah. So right, like right you before were I left to Miami. Yeah, you were like a high level player coming out like more than more than a game is out. Like, God, that had to just be like it had to be it for you, man. <laughs> you know? it, was, it was cool. Like, me and all my friends would watch it together. Me and my teammates were like, this, this could be us. Like, of course it couldn't, but you know what I mean? Just a good time. It was a good time. That that's my favorite version of Bron. Obviously, it was cool to see him get over the hump when he went to Miami too. So you being like a six foot eight, like point forward, was that your guy when you were like, was that just like the guy that you were trying to do everything with? Yeah. um, Usually bigger guys like that, just because I was, like you said, kind of that position. Oddly enough, um, Sean Livingston was like my favorite player, uh, being a Clippers fan and stuff, um, being a taller guy, playing the guard position, kind of like. So it kind of hurt when he when he messed up his leg and that injury. But yeah, Bron. I mean, I I don't think I can. Even, if it wasn't Sean Livingston, it was LeBron. Like just being right. a witness during that time was was cool. Was super cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's go to. Let's try and close up the trade deadline stuff. Right. Let's talk a little bit about what what we think could happen over the next little while. I don't think anything else has happened since we've been on the line or at the very least Shams and Woj's uh, timelines have not updated to tell me that anything else has Mm -hmm. happened. 
since we've been on the podcast. So I don't think Twitter is down anymore. So I don't think Twitter's down anymore either. The team everyone's looking at is Toronto. You texted me, you know, earlier today or yesterday. You said that, you know, you're really interested to see if Toronto tears this thing down. I'm going to be interested in that too. I think that's what everyone around the league's waiting for, right? Like, what would you do if you're Toronto? I think you've got to, you've got to prioritize Siakam, um, OG, or Scotty Barnes. Like, I don't think you need to move forward with all three of those. And clearly, Scotty Barnes is the least likely to be dealt. He's the youngest. He has the most upside. Like, he's incredibly good already. But like. Just their positional, positionless basketball kind of all wing type of lineups. Um, it just hasn't been good. Like they need a legitimate center. They need, I mean, Fred Van Vliet is good, but they need they need more guards. You know what I mean? They need a balanced roster. Um, and if you don't want to, if you if you don't want to pay Van Vliet going forward or Gary Trent, I think it starts with them too. And maybe you can get um, a, a first round or two picks uh, back for them. Um, and then you kind of just start to reshape your your roster. And if you have to kind of take a step back for a moment um, and, and figure out how to build around uh, Scotty Barnes and Siakam, how they're going to be best suited going forward, I think you do that. But I don't think that contention is in their their future, their immediate future right now. And since it's not, I would I would prioritize, you know, two, three years from now what the roster could look like and getting off bad contracts and not having to overpay people and, just, just taking a little bit more of a, a serious approach. So in that vein, it sounds like you're in favor of moving OG Ananobi, I would say, given that his deal, he has about $18 million next year and then becomes a free agent. I, I, If they are going to go that route, like if they would prefer to go that route, I would be in favor of them moving OG Ananobi. And by the way, I'm pretty sure that next week I'm going to have Samson Folk on to talk about all of the things that the Raptors did at the deadline. So just people be ready for that. We're going to do a deep dive into this, regardless of what happens, because it's fascinating for them either way. But I, if they are going to take a step back, if they're going to move Fred Van Vliet, move Gary Trent, and try and start new in the backcourt, I actually am in favor of them moving Ananobi because I think this is the time where they could most cash in on him. Uh, I think it makes sense to do that. If I was them, I still have weird faith in this roster. Mm -hmm. I would have fired Nick Nurse like two months ago or something like that and seen if that would have given you a spark plug. Yeah, like I, I don't think Nick Nurse has been very good this year. I think that the offense has been a total mess. I don't think he's a bad coach. I think that whatever was working for him previously with a roster that was a bit more traditional uh, is no longer there. And he has not developed an offense at this point that best accentuates the skills that this Raptors group has. On top of it, I just hate their defense for what their skill set is at this point. Like it, it drives me nuts that they're like hyper over aggressive all the time. And I think it puts their guys in super bad positions rotationally. It drives me nuts. Um, I would have done that. I would have fired Nick Nurse like two months ago and seen if a different coach could get the most out of this talent. And that would have given you the information you need in order to make smart, coherent decisions at the deadline this year, right? 
now they're in a weird spot and like I, look, it seems like they're going toward like making a move, right? Like it seems like they're going toward probably at the very least moving Gary Trent and OG Ananobi, maybe, maybe they don't move Fred Van Vliet, Michael Grange, who is, you know, Sportsnet's terrific, you know, Toronto Raptors insider. He knows that organization as well as anyone. He seems to think they want to try and retain Fred Van Vliet. Hmm. So, you know, they did it with Lowry a few years ago, like when Lowry was was a hot name on the market, and he, the Lakers were trying to pony up for him and stuff. And they just kept him, like they, they kept him, and that's know. how they have Precious Achua now because they did a sign and trade with Miami, right? So, mm-hmm. like, there is a lot. There's there's credence to that. I think that's a really good point, Cole. Like, I don't know. I, I they could do anything at this point, and it would not surprise me with mm-hmm. the, the Toronto Raptors. I just want to know, just want to know what it is. Like, I, I just want to know already. It's been so long. We've heard so much stuff. Like, I want to know what they're going to do. I wonder if they even know at this point, like, if they're still, you know, on one hand, they've got these offers and they're still considering them. Like, oh, we don't know. Yeah. We might want to, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough situation to be in given how, because it's not just one player, right? It's not, they're not just right. making the decision on one. Like, it's multiple. So how do you navigate that? I That's think that... Yeah, right. Uh, I I would venture they know by now, not necessarily what the deals are going to be, but like what direction they're going to go. I don't know if they knew like earlier, like early this week, late last week, which is, you know, not necessarily super normal either. Like it's just a, they're in such a strange position right now because they have good veteran players. They could theoretically surround those good veteran players with another very high end lottery pick this year. And I, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, is, is there another player that you're watching at the deadline that you want to see where this person ends up? Not really. I mean, KD, but I don't think he's going anywhere. That's going to yeah. drag on for a while. Um, I was interested in seeing what Utah was going to do. And that kind of, that happened already today, unless they, they keep going forward. Those were the, the two main ones. Um, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of anybody else that, you know, Toronto Toronto and Utah were, were the ones. Um, anything else kind of is just, I mean, the, the Russ buyout stuff, I wonder what's going to happen with that. I know Miami has been trying to get up, like they're kind of done with Lowry. It seems like it hasn't really worked out. Like, is that a swing that they want to make? I don't know if it would be a good swing or not, yeah. but – just little little things like that um, to round out lineups and rosters and stuff to see if, if they can get a little bit better. The, the interesting two for me are Josh Hart and Jay Crowder. Like we've been waiting for this Jay Crowder deal <laughs> to happen for you know six months. It feels like, mm-hmm. and the Suns have taken their time, and whether or not that will pay off will be seen in the next twenty four hours. Right, we will find out if they made the right decision. Not moving him earlier and getting help earlier in the season that would have given them the depth to be able to maybe better weather some of the injury issues that they had throughout the year, or if it was a bad move to wait that long. Um, Well, Josh Hart's also a really interesting one because I I think Josh Mm -hmm. Hart can really help people. He has a fascinating contract next year. He's an actual good player. That is a fascinating contract for next year. He has a player option for about 12.9 million. And if he exercises that player option, it then becomes a non-guaranteed contract. So it's basically 
a mutual option where he makes the decision first and then the team has final say on what they want to do. He's well worth $12.9 million, in my opinion, next season. A team like Cleveland, I think, could really, really use him. They, Yeah, that's that's a good one. They could use – I don't think Karis LeVert is their starting three if they want to get as far as they want to get um, Okoro. Um, yeah, they, they, that would be a really interesting spot. Um, I'm still – now, now that I thought about it, I don't. The noise has been a lot quieter than the beginning of the season with Boyan, um, yeah, on Detroit. I, I don't. It seems like they want to keep him and have a good veteran piece to use next year with Cade and uh, a second year with Jaden and stuff like that. I don't know if that's the right move or not, but it just seems like the noise is so quiet now around him that that's kind of trending in that direction. But that's. That's something I'm still kind of interested in seeing if anything plays out um, between now and tomorrow. Well, it, it's interesting because I, I agree with you. Like he's a name for sure that's been out on the market. It does seem like they're going to keep him, but keeping both him and Sadiq Bay is interesting to me. Um, we always talk about like you need wings, you need wings, right? But they have Jaden Ivy, they have Cade Cunningham. That's their backcourt of the future. They're also going to have something in the vein of a top five pick, let's say, in this upcoming NBA draft. So they're going to add uh, what will likely be another elite-level piece, at the very least, elite-level talent. Um, they have to make a decision on paying Sadiq Bay, and given that you have Boyan right now at you know $20 million for two more years if you want past this season, I would be exploring the market on Sadiq Bay a little bit more even than Boyan Bogdanovich. And it seems like they're... You know, based on James Edwards' reporting over at The Athletic, it feels like they're probably going to end up keeping him. And I wonder if that would have been an interesting avenue for them to get out of the Sneak Bay business early, get a reasonable draft pick, reset the asset clock, basically, and then just kind of go from there. Yeah, um, they you're never really too sure with Detroit because it seemed like they were kind of in a similar situation <laughs> with Jeremy Grant last year. And, you know, the, the talk around him, that kind of, you know, their, their asking price was high. They wanted to move him. They weren't sure, but they kept him past the deadline. And then, you know, they worked the thing out with Portland over the off season. So I guess technically stuff is still possible after the season ends or past the trade deadline. Um, yeah. it's, it's never too late, but yeah, that's a lot of, if, if they wanted to pay Sadiq Bay on top of already paying Boyan that money, like that's, I don't know, th- that doesn't seem like the smartest thing that they're trying to, you know, set themselves up down the line to, you know, build around Cade and build around Jaden and, and become kind of, I don't know, maybe what, what OKC is trending towards becoming. Um it doesn't really seem like that would be the move to have both of them making a lot of money going forward. So, um, yeah. No, and then you also have the Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Stewart. That's that's the mm-hmm. name I'm looking for. Uh, Isaiah Stewart deal that's forthcoming at the same time as Sadiq Bay, and I don't know if there's room for both of those guys making a lot of money. Um, and and mm-hmm. it feels like they are a little bit more enthused about. Isaiah Stewart, at the very least, uh, you know, Isaiah is a better defender. He's an improving three-point shooter, uh, killer rebounder, super tough, seems like a great team guy to have around. Mm-hmm. 
we'll see. Yeah. I, I don't know. Detroit's a, Detroit's a fascinating one. But uh, Cole, do you have any any other takes you need to get off about the NBA? Do you, do you need do you need to jump off about Cam Thomas and the Cam Thomas run that's happening <laughs> right now? No, one of my takes though is like it's not a take; it's a complaint. I'm going to sound like old man. Like, why do we have to oh, wait until the why do we have to wait until the trade deadline to get all this stuff? Like, this stuff could have been been done two months ago. Like, you know what I mean? I know they're trying to like get the most value and find the right deal and whatnot. But it's like, man, Jay Carter couldn't have been traded already. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of things where I'm like, why do we have to wait until the last possible second? Like, wouldn't it benefit teams to do this stuff earlier so they can form identities and get cohesion and stuff longer before the playoffs and whatnot? I I don't know. It just seems silly that it's like, all right, now that we put a a date on it that has to be done, now we're going to do it. Whereas, like, you could have done this already. I don't know. No, I'm with you actually on that. Like, I, I think the teams this season particularly could have probably pulled the trigger a little bit earlier, right? The Jay Crowder one, like, is the prime example. I, I would be surprised if they got real value for him, you know, coming up here. And they could have had someone else for a different, for like, you know, 60 games, 70 games, even the full season if they had moved him in the preseason, which is when he requested all of this. And I think that would have helped Phoenix quite a bit to have someone in the full season, but maybe they get someone better than what I'm anticipating for Jay Crowder. Um, I agree with you though. Like I I think that, you know, it's like an, it's like a homework assignment, right? Like, you know, people that are procrastinators just wait until the last minute to start it. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, because of that, the pressure mounts, the pressure mounts on each side, right. With these, with these front offices and they have to, make a decision on what they want to do and make a decision on how to best handle it under now limited time constraints. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's a factor. I think parity is a factor this year. Certainly. I think that the draft True. being what it is this year is a real factor in terms of this, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it would have behooved some of these teams to move a little bit earlier. Get that maybe. Done already. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Paul, tell that's them, all I got. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Cole Hoops. Um, I'm always reposting um, all of my sports writing content, uh, the athletic bet for the win um, franchise sports media where I cover the aces um, and two and three hoops where I cover the Clippers. So uh, just follow my Twitter account and you'll, you'll get a lot of, a lot of stuff. Do we, uh, do we need to have a conversation about the aces? Uh, we do need to have a conversation about cir- the aces. Cir- circumventing some good, things. Yeah, they're not. They're not. Uh, they're not winning over many people right now. They're they're <laughs> acting very poorly. Uh, it's kind of nasty. Is, uh, yeah. yeah, not not a not great. It seems like on the Aces yeah. part, but that's a that's a conversation for another day. Uh, I have something up on the Kyrie trade. I have NBA trade deadline big board. We also have um, what else? What else? What else? We have. Uh, I, I will have something on this big three team trade. I've already written like half of it, so. That'll come soon. Uh, Keep it locked at The Athletic. You will have a lot of NBA trade deadline content coming from me soon. I also have a mock draft coming next week. I will also have another episode for you guys coming tomorrow. This podcast is going to go on the podcast feed immediately. And then tomorrow, probably a little bit earlier than this, uh, I will have Mark Schindler on the show, and we're going to break down everything that happens on the trade deadline day. So keep it locked here. Until next time. We'll talk soon.